Welcome back, or welcome for the first time, to the Semester at Sea Wavelengths Podcast. This is episode 10, and I, Patrick Fennell, member of the Young Alumni Council, will be your host for this episode. Every week on the podcast, we hear interviews, stories, and other audio from students, alumni, and staff. Semester at Sea is a biannual study abroad program taking place in the fall and spring semesters, where students get the opportunity to study abroad on a ship and where the world becomes your classroom. Semester at Sea is hosted by ISE, the Institute for Shipboard Education, a nonprofit based out of Fort Collins, Colorado. Semester at Sea is made possible with support of listeners like you. Whether student, alumni, or neither, visit semesteratsea.org to get involved and find out more. Check the description below for links. You can also find Semester at Sea on any of your favorite social media platforms, whether that be YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, on and on. Applications are currently open and accepted on a rolling basis. Donations are welcome and serve students the opportunity at experiences like you hear on this show. Now, today's first segment. We're changing the format a little bit this week. This week, we only have one main segment. Our segment this week features Justice K.G. Balakrishnan. Justice Balakrishnan served as Chief Justice of the Supreme Court of India between 2007 and 2010. At the time of recording in the spring of 2015, Mr. Balakrishnan was the chairperson for the National Human Rights Commission of India. On the day of the MV Explorer's arrival in Kanchan, Justice Balakrishnan spoke to spring 2015 voyagers about his career and the contemporary state of human rights in India. Good morning, everybody. Thank you for your flexibility, the watchword of Semester at Sea. I'm delighted to welcome on behalf of the Institute for Shipboard Education and the Semester at Sea program a very special guest, and that is uh, Justice Balakrishnan, who is going to be talking to us today about human rights issues in India. I'm going to leave it to the person who organized all of this, Walton Johnson, to introduce the justice. And we also have a second guest today who has been long associated with Semester at Sea. I believe this is the justice's first visit to the ship. But Henry Thiagaraj has been associated with the Semester at Sea program for 25 years. 23 years, I exaggerated, but it's still a fairly long time, I think we'll all agree. So he's been associated with this program for 23 years, has been a major resource for us in terms of setting up field programs in the Chennai region, visiting Dalit communities, and so we're going to welcome both of them. And Walton, I'm going to ask you to come forward as the person who arranged all of this uh, to take the honor of introducing uh, our guests. So, welcome. <clears throat> Thank you very much. It is indeed an honor to introduce these two gentlemen. You know that the purpose of Semester at Sea is to create an experience that would make this a voyage of discovery. And so far, I think we've lived up to that uh, goal. Today is another major activity to help us realize the goal of discovery at sea. I want to introduce Dr. Theogaraj, and I want to give a personal, warm, personal introduction to him. 
He's been a very dear friend of mine for these 23 years. In fact, his association with Semester at Sea began out of our relationship. We met 23 years ago in connection with Semester at Sea. And though I've gone my own way and done all sorts of other things, he's been carrying the flag for the rest of us over this time. I want to tell you just a word or two about uh, Dr. Thea Garaj. He's not going to speak to us, but he's very important to this program, and you need to know a little about him. Dr. Thea Garaj is the director of the World Association of Former United Nations Interns and Fellows. He was awarded the Echo, Echoing Green Foundation Public Service Award in 2001 for human rights education among grassroots communities. He is the founder of the Dalit Liberation Education Trust and its Delta training campus, which offers educational activities for Dalit youth. He, as I mentioned, he's had an association with Semester at Sea for the past 23 years in which every time the ship docks in Chennai, there are field programs associated with his organization, organized by him. Some of the most exciting things have happened in, in connection with service learning, service projects in the Dali community. And so he's a very, very dear friend and honored guest. So it's a pleasure for me to say thank you, Henry, for coming. Our special guest today is the Honorable Justice K.G. Balakrishnan. He was born just nearby, I believe, not too far from where we are, in Kerala. He has been an advocate of the Kerala Bar Council, and he has pleaded both criminal and civil cases in that capacity locally. He was elevated to the judge of the Supreme Court in 2000, and on January 14, 2007, he was appointed Chief Justice of the Supreme Court of India. I don't have to tell you what an important post that is. During his tenure in the Supreme Court, he delivered several landmark judgments. These included an order which made the midday meal program in schools a mandatory requirement. This was very, very important because the order brought relief to millions of poor children who had otherwise to discontinue their studies because of poverty. Justice Balakrishnan has been awarded honorary degrees by a large number of universities, so many I'm not going to mention them here. He was also awarded the first Siri Krishna Mellon Award for his fight against corruption in the judicial system and for his uh, zeal in espousing social causes. Since 2010, Justice Balakrishnan has been the chairperson of the National Human Rights Commission. He's a visionary in, in India, and in, in, in this latest capacity, he's called upon the media and other important segments of the Indian community to increase its activities on to eliminate human rights violations and to promote human rights awareness. It is a great pleasure that I would like to invite Justice Balakrishnan to come and talk to us this morning. Distinguished Professor, 
other professors and dean of faculty of the various discipline and my dear students i feel greatly privileged to meet all of you especially at cochin this is the place where i practice law i became a judge continued uh, did my law i did my postgraduation in law started practice so it is always happy to meet all of you at cochin this is the southernmost uh, part of india cochin it was earlier uh, under the uh, british rule uh, rajas kings royal uh, kings were there it was part of now it is kerala it was cochin travancore cochin then part of it was yeshwail uh, madras state now the tamil nadu state of tamil nadu it was formed by three constituents and now the kerala state uh, it was formed there the party the one party is ruling the other party is on the opposite side and all uh, very vibrant politics here a lot of uh, human rights activities also in the state one thing i must say this uh, kerala especially cochin is uh, compared to other parts of india is highly literate for 98% people are literate there are large number of schools colleges and all in kerala so this is uh, by of uh, i will uh, since uh, 2010 i am heading the national human rights commission of india that is nhrc nhrc was constituted in 1993 and uh, what since uh, 1993 we deal with large number of complaints more than a lakh complaints are uh, filed in every year in nhrc touching various issues affecting the rights of the people the human rights has been defined in the national human rights protection act in 1993 as right to life liberty and equality and individual dignity and also the various rights under un conventions which are enforceable in the courts in in india so the <coughs> national human rights commission has been doing various activities not only the dealing with the compliance but the on thematic issues uh, that right to uh, food bonded labor child labor then manual scavenging also series of action health programs in india being a large country with so much of population we have got large number of problems affecting the people in the various states so we go to states also though apart from the national human rights commission the state also there are state human rights commissions in not in all the states about 20 uh, in india now there are 29 states now 23 states there are state human rights commissions also national human rights commission uh, consists of uh, five members the chairperson would always be the former chief justice of india and there would be another member former judge of the supreme court of india and another member would be a former chief justice of a high court in any of the state and there are two other members who are as part in the field of human rights 
there are uh, a large number of employees working with the national human rights commission about 500 employees are working with the national human rights commission we have got an investigation being under the leadership of a police officer director general of police then uh, a research wing and a publication division so in all respects uh, the national human rights commission has got uh, various work in the in the whole of uh, india that is i hope uh, you got uh, some idea about the national human rights commission we are got uh, the we are also part of the international community of national human rights uh, international coordinating committee icc and also the asia pacific among the asia pacific uh, 16 countries are members of the asia pacific human rights uh, apf then uh, they are also there we are going to have meeting in geneva from the next 10th to 15th there will be the icc meeting and the apf meeting <coughs> so internationally also this uh, um, national human rights the human rights movement is uh, very very important one thing i i should say that the national human rights commission india is a quasi judicial body unlike other is a is a consider is is a civil court we can summon people we can call for records we can examine persons and decide apart from the uh, investigation which is being done by the national human rights commission the various other activities uh, as you know the india has got a series of problems relating to the rights of women gender equality then um, right to food uh, then the, the rights of the dalit uh, the the in india there is a uh, caste system is a hierarchical system of society is prevalent in, in india of course the rigidity of the caste system is gradually fading away is a rigor is reduced but nevertheless there is caste system there is social hierarchy the upper caste mid the slightly mid uh, middle class the lower class earlier it must have happened this caste system must have originated depending on the bifurcation of the people on the basis of their job they came the some people were escorted in doing some job but some people are using in uh, doing in uh, trade activities somewhere army uh, they ruling the country somewhere uh, priest uh, doing the various works so the brahmanical then vaisya chuda all these caste distinctions are there so still uh, this caste system is prevalent and the people who are in the lowest caste which is now called the dalit people they have got various uh, the difficulties in uh, caste because of the caste system earlier it was very rigorous the untouchability was there it was not even they they, they were not even uh, able to walk through the roads or do do in um, uh, take water from the public place or uh, eat in public uh, restaurants but now that they these difficulties have gone but still there are problems associated there are large number of uh, problems and to curtail these problems there are various enactments passed by the government of india prevention of atrocities against the scheduled caste and scheduled tribe the officially they are called scheduled caste and scheduled tribes tribal tribes scheduled tribes live mostly in forest area uh, taking the all uh, various items on the forest and leave 
but now the forest also has uh, to a great extent um, destroyed and habitated by other people so the tribals also have lost their identity they are not able to make out, make eke out their livelihood from the forest and they don't have the land it was to some, to a great extent it is encroached by others so the tribals also got serious uh, problems in their day to day life schedule caste that is uh, schedule caste and schedule tribes they called dalit they have got a series of problems this not only atrocities and other social problems so national human rights thought of considering the problems of schedule caste and schedule tribes and we uh, conducted a study at the instance of retired ias officer c saxena and saxena has given a report detailed report uh, he compiled all the problems and suggested certain remedies so that is the the saxena report based on that we national human rights commission go to each state we had been to six seven states now and um, call for the their um, complaints and deal with the complaints call the authorities and try to solve their problems so in that in that way the national human rights commission has been doing a human service for the scheduled castes and scheduled tribes then the problems of women also in india gender equality is still uh, uh, difficult to visualize but uh, in 1993 there was an amendment to the constitution of india the 73rd and 74th amendment to the constitution that gave the panchayat raj was uh, all local bodies the panchayat raj system was uh, enacted in that panchayat the 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 needs of the public would be decided by the local bodies in some states some countries it is called uh, the municipalities or county all these uh, you may be familiar these municipalities are we called the basic unit is called panchayat then the corporations municipalities and the district uh, that is so in these local bodies election they are they are elected bodies they are elected and these elected bodies 33% should be women so in that way in kerala and some of the state of bihar kerala and all the women shall be 50% or the, the the elected members of the local bodies should be women so in that way the 73rd and 70 not only that many of the important activities which were done by the state was the this was this was percolated to the the local bodies for example running the schools running the uh, public toilets uh, all uh, health programs uh, various uh, small scale industries all these were done by these local bodies so the panchayat members or the district municipalities members they were our elected elected representative 33% is a, is as per the constitution it is a basic thing this 33% would be women but the women are still the we national human rights commission receive large number of complaints pertaining to the rights of women sometimes the police is not rape um, assault or sometimes the police is may not register the case we have got a large number of legislation important legislations but unfortunately many of these laws are not properly implemented 
that is the the atrocities against women we are got 498a domestic violence act if any women is assaulted and it is outrage in modesty of the we also in as you know in delhi there is a violent rape happened girl was assaulted by four persons now they have been convicted by the court after that incident it evoked so much of public interest all the media print and electronic media rose in arms against this incident thereafter on 3rd february 2013 the law was amended the outraging modesty which was 354 of the indian penal code it was amended and 354 a b c d was included in the indian penal code and not only that the women here after the women shall after this amendment women shall not be called to the police station to record the statement as part of the investigation as you know investigation part the women were used to be called to the police station but now the police cannot call the women to the police station and if any of these offenses and also the trafficking of women or any child or a trafficking has been made a serious offense in the indian penal code that amendment 370 and 370a was included that was bodily incorporating the un conventions the un convention on trafficking was almost the exact definition of that uh, human trafficking was uh, the transport harbors taking from one place to another for the purpose of exploitation exploitation has also defined almost in par with the un conventions for the sexual exploitation could be there or there be slave bonded labor servitude or any act for the for the similar to servitude or the organ transplantation all these are defined under 370 of the indian penal code that also and these offenses are reported to the police police is bound to register a criminal case one major problem in india is that the police will not register the cases we the police when a cognizable offense is reported to the police under law they are bound to register a case and conduct investigation but uh, unfortunately some of the police officers feel that we if we go and register in the case ask for the report of the police or somebody somebody coming to the police station gives an information this is called first information then the police is if it is a cognizable offense for which police can take cognizance and conduct investigation then uh, they are bound to register case but they will not register case if they register the case the crime rate will go up the statistics will go up they are administration of the law and order situation or the crime control is not under they is not properly managed but now the law has been changed they are bound to register the case these are all intended to protect the rights of women rights of children but is in spite of all this and they the police officer could be prosecuted for not registering the case we get large number of complaints and they but uh, we also direct uh, the, them to register case uh, and once the complaint is made to the nhrc then they immediately we get report by the time it would be registered but they, there will be delay and as you know in a criminal case the delay in registering the case itself is a serious matter the evidence is destroyed the possibility of the the real accused being convicted is remote so 
all these problems are to protect the rights of women rights of dalit and all various enactment has been made but in spite of all the legislation as i said earlier it is not effectively implemented but the problems of these uh, marginalized sections of people that is the scheduled scheduled tribe women children old age uh, people uh, their rights uh, they are they are to give social protection for women the literacy is very important their employment is very important women uh, still uh, there is a a gap between the male and female the gap is uh, uh, more than 10% yeah, more than 20, nearly 10, 20% the in some of the states uh, the male literacy in india is about 64.3 female literacy in male literacy more than 70 75% in almost all the states except in lakshadweep uh, kerala and all tamil nadu also fairly good literacy Kerala, the good literacy was a fairly high range of literacy. There were a large number of missionaries who started schools in Kerala. Yeah, from uh, even 1850, 1840, the schools were started. So when the schools were started, uh, the royal family also, they started uh, schools. The, uh, the just uh, five, five kilometers away from the, the Maharaja's college, uh, it was started by the royal family of cochin the hospital was started by the royal family and although these unlike uh, i must say some of the north indian kings were going on constructing palaces and mansions the southern uh, these especially in kerala cochin and uh, travancore the kings were they were called benevolent kings they were interested in the welfare of the people of this uh, country. They started educational institutions, started uh, hospitals, even uh, Trivandrum. Most of the uh, institutions were uh, started by the royal family. The, some of the, uh, even small, some industries were also started. It is very difficult to see in northern part of India. But the social problem of the women, the children are all to be approached from the social perspective. The literacy rate should be improved. The women and there is employment opportunities are less. In India, the entrepreneurial service, they are, the banking system itself is not, accessibility is less for the women. When the education level is low, the accessibility to this banking system, start industry, and moving out of the house and do some work, it is all not very well accepted by the people. So there is always a drawback in that system. Then these are all the, the various problems which are faced by the Indian women. So it is to be improved. The, those rights are to be improved. Then only the whole, we have seen series of problems in various states. The whole hospital system is not working. The um, NRSM program is not very well. We supervise uh, some 25 districts, most backward districts in India. We are spotted and the, in fact, it was spotted by the UNDP. And we have the, our special rapporteur, the members of the commission, visit these districts and find out how the health program is working, how the education system is working. Series of welfare measures that there, people are not able to avail the benefits. 
because of the and some of the benefits are take um, knocked off by the middleman that is uh, even the one former prime minister of this country said 100 rupees only uh, 10 or 15 rupees reach the real people after the government spend 100 rupees 15 15 or 20 rupees reach the people so they now even subsidize even directly giving benefit to the people has also been started nevertheless all despite all these things this society social condition should improve women should be given more and effective participation in the administration there is a great demand to have 33% of women representation in the parliament but now it is not possible to happen soon i hope there there would be a moment to have this 33 and wanted percent of women in the parliament all these problems could be reduced and the problems of schedule caste it is not possible to happen on a fine morning it requires a lot of time the society even some of the states still we got a complaint that in the colony mainly occupied by these people they constructed a wall so that they they cannot move out of area which is occupied by the upper caste people but the education system large number of students are joining in the education system that is creating an improvement yes ma'am. thank you so much for that informative presentation i'll start the ball rolling to ask if exactly how does the national human rights commission function does it uh, you mentioned that in each state there are local organizations does the national organization uh, give them funding does it give them training does it give them uh, expertise exactly what's the role of the national organization making the things happen at the grassroots level national human rights commission has been established as per a statute of 1993 in that statute there is also the formation of the state human rights commission but state human rights commission not working under the national human rights commission state human rights commission is autonomous independent body asigas national human rights bodies a human rights bodies it was in 1993 the un representatives and some of the distinguished personalities assembled in paris and formulated certain principles how a human rights commission should function and that is called the paris principles it should be autonomous it should be independent that there should be plurality in the organization and it should have its own funding mechanism these are all the basic principles paris principles based on which national human rights commission is also independent autonomous body but we get funding by the state the government of india government of here the parliament will fix the these it will be decided by the parliament how much funding is to be given to the national human rights commission so it is a by the parliament the funding and we have also to give supposed to give our annual report to the parliament of india and it would be placed before the parliament it is functioning of the national human rights commission we receive complaints 
but we don't have an adversarial mechanism of disposal of the complaint. We don't call the parties and hear them and the respondent hear them. But the, the National Human Rights Commission as a statute is, has got the authority to deal with the violation of human rights committed by the public servant or any, any abatement of violation of human rights committed by the public servants. As regards the violation, violation of human rights commit, committed by the private individual, one can go to court. So the public servants, but public servants violate human rights. It is the jurisdiction of the National Human Rights Commission that they deal with. We direct, there is gross violation of human rights. We direct that the public servants should be prosecuted. And if there is, or the victims are being compensated. But in some of the, many of the complaints relate to the violation of human rights committed by the ordinary persons. Such complaints are also received by us. But we deal with the complaints that are, we ask the police, the police authorities, the state administrators, the, this is violation of a particular law. All violations of human rights, this would be a violation. Suppose, for example, the labor, say, we have worked uh, in the Brooklyn for uh, 100 days. We are not paid by the wages by the Brooklyn owner. Then we direct the labor authorities to see that the wages are paid. We ask the, the district administration why the Brooklyn, the workers are not registered and workers are not paid according to the Minimum Wages Act. So there is a redressal mechanism for common men, even if the violation is done by the other people, private citizens, or corporate bodies. Nowadays, the international corporate bodies are violation, committing huge violations of human rights. Uh, environmental matters, the series of the mining activities, then the pharmaceutical uh, manufacture, all these huge violations of human rights by the, their treatment to the employees, there is human rights violation. They're dealing with the public, there is human rights violations. The, all these violations are committed by the corporate people, which is a internationally very, very important subject, which is often discussed by the National Human Rights Commission all over the world. The State Human Rights Commission also, it is independent body, state autonomous independent body. It is not working under the International Human Rights Commission. The State Human Rights Commission is funded by the state government. Hi, Chief Justice. Um, thank you so much for coming today. My name is Thaddeus Bryan. I'm from Vanguard University. And what do you think is the greatest threat to human rights today? It is very difficult to grade the violations of human rights. For a person, minor violation individually will feel if I am illegally detained, illegally arrested or tortured or anything, for us, it is the greatest violation. So it is very difficult to say which is the greatest. We often need the poverty is the greatest violation of human rights. As far as um, women's rights in India, do women have the right to an abortion in the case of rape or just the right to an abortion in general? I mean, what are uh, the women's rights to choice in India? As regards abortion, there is a separate statute, legislation in respect of that. It should be done at a particular uh, period. It should be supported. It should be by the medical uh, care. Actually, the... Um, there is a large number of feticide or uh, the some sort of abortion to prevent that the law is made. The But 
under certain medical care it could be done that uh, under that uh, there is a separate statute for that you mentioned that yeah. on paper there are a lot of things protecting people's mm-hmm. human right human rights but it hasn't really translated to the social sphere so how do you go from having it on paper to making it happen in practice some of the rights how transformed into law many of these human rights basic human rights are not really protected under law but gradually by transformation it will become serious rights even in the indian constitution some of the rights are given in chapter 3 of the constitution right to life liberty equality all given in the chapter 3 of the constitution chapter 4 of the constitution there are certain rights which are directive principles of state policy these are the principles to be governed and followed in the matter of governance by the various states uh, governments so the part 3 but now the rights under part 4 is transformed into right under part 3 by the various judicial decisions for example education was not a universal education or a compulsory education was not a right uh, under the under the fundamental rights now it was only in the directive principle now the right to education article 21a has been inserted the constitution right to education uh, act is passed then the state government is bound to have educational institution basic facilities are to be so the rights transformed into law various uh, rights right to dignity of uh, it is a human right transformed into law various rights as i said women shall not be called to the police station is a right to dignity is upheld so various enactments are so they gradually the what is in paper simple right not only simple right then there should be media should support the public ngo should support social activists should come forward the human rights defenders should act human rights commission should work all this then only the whatever rights it is in paper would become reality that is the only way the enforcement agencies the enforcing authorities should be vigilant so they if they are not vigilant the people should make them vigilant i wanted to ask how the indian justices make sure that people throughout india are aware of their human rights because coming from south asia i feel like a lot of people are also just not aware of the the entire set of rights they have so would you rely i mean completely on ngos or social organizations or is awareness creation also a part of the justice system and the human rights organization justice system especially we are more concerned with the criminal justice system that is the public participation is more the civil justice system is between the parties they will fight and decide the matter criminal justice system the problem is only with regard there is some delay in the indian courts there are delay in dispensation of justice that is a, is an accepted fact unless there are la- large number of courts uh, the delay will continue there should be the human rights uh, are also protected by various laws and the judicial system is also bound to protect the human rights apart from the national human rights commission doesn't have the power so always a recommendatory body national human rights commission throughout the world is a recommendatory body even though we are we are we 
you have the quasi judicial powers it is a recommendatory body but fortunately national human rights commission's recommendations are followed and accepted by the state governments so the judicial system also is uh, bound to comply with the national human rights the, the the human rights uh, violations and deal if there is a violation of law they have to do accordingly thank you very much <laughs> in conclusion i want to say that the shipboard education is doing a marvelous job in global education and in making american students aware of the problems in the world and i think they deserve the nobel prize thank you Since 1963, Semester C has given over 73,000 individuals from 1700 academic institution an unparalleled experience of visiting more than 60 countries across 6 of the 7 continents. Semester C serves undergraduate, gap year, and graduate students. Furthermore, the lifelong learner program allows non-students to experience, explore, and learn alongside students. If you or someone you know wishes to apply or donate to this world-shifting experience, please visit semesterc.org for more information. That's going to wrap out our show this week. Special thanks to everyone involved, to all alumni, and to the home office. And thank you for joining us this week. To any alumni, please reach out to the show. The content on this show is only possible with your help and your experiences. Once again, to apply, donate, or learn more, visit semesterc.org. or check out the links in the description of this episode. To close us out this week, John Rosenberg is back. Many of you might recognize him from the Semester at Sea alumni community or even from earlier episodes of the podcast where he has treated us to his musical talents many times. This week, John treats our ears with a musical adaptation of Red Red Rose by the Scottish national poet Robert Burns. Until next time, sailing off the pick poets that that have interesting lyrics robert burns lived in uh, mid 1700s died before the turn of the century and um wrote some really great stuff as we all know i found a poem by robert burns called a red red rose
Fare thee well, my only love Fare thee well a while I will come again, my love Though it were ten thousand miles Fare art thou, my bonny lass So deep in love am I And I will love thee still, my dear Till the seas of Organ dry Till the seas of Organ See you.